And we've been walking through this series that's been entitled uh, Everyday Mission. And so we've been looking at this series. What we've been talking about is, first of all, the gospel is our everyday message that informs our life and really informs who we are. That I, I think in the world in which we live, there's a lot of messages that are constantly coming to us about who we are. And, and really, who we are determines how we live. That the way you see yourself has the greatest impact on the way that you move out into the world. You know, if you see yourself as the center of life, well, guess what? You're going to be the center of life in your marriage or at work or in this community. The way you see yourself has the biggest influence on the way you move out into this community. And I think our biggest challenge, the biggest challenge we face in our faith is we don't see ourselves the way that God sees us. We don't see ourselves as God sees us, as his children, his servants, and his missionaries. And our, I think our greatest challenge is not just obedience, but first of all, it's faith. It's faith and trusting that God is who he says he is. He's done what he's done, and because of that, we are who he says we are. And see, this really impacts every relationship that we have. That if we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, our obedience is going to really be disconnected from God. Let me say that again. If we don't see ourselves the way God sees us, then our obedience is going to be disconnected from who God is. Because, see, the, the way that our obedience flows, it's to be flowing out of faith. Faith in what he's done and who we are, then impacting the people around us. And so in this series, we've talked a lot about our identity in Christ and who we are. That we are a family of servant missionaries. If you want a definition of the church, what is the church? The church is a family of servant missionaries. And when that reality begins to captivate the heart, then the church is able to go out into the world as family, meaning to love the community as family so they might become family. That Jesus loved us as family before we were family, and because of that, we became family. He loved us as if we were his very own. And then second, he moved out. Jesus moved out in the world as a servant. He said, I didn't come to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And just as Jesus moved out in the world to make us family and move out in the world as a servant, so also we are family who move out into the world as servants. And then finally, we're sent on a mission that God saves us for a purpose and he saves us to send us back out into the world. Now, here's the challenge. There's a lot of challenges, but here's the challenge that we're gonna address today. That we live today in a gap between God's promises and the fulfillment of those promises. We live in a gap between what God says will happen and what he's promised to us and our experience of those promises. So on the one hand, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. And yet how often is our expectation of the abundant life different from our experience of the abundant life? Now, how often is our expectation of what that abundant life looks like how does that compare with what we're experiencing today? Whether it's in our marriages, in our finances, whether it's at work, it's in our health. Often God's promises in our experience, there's this gap. Or in Jeremiah 29, and I know many of you probably have this verse uh, memorized. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's God's promise. And yet, how often do our experience and God's promise, there's this, this gap. And yet, we live every day in this gap between what God has promised and then what we're experiencing. 
The question is, how do you live in that gap? Because if we're going to live on an everyday mission out of this identity, we have to know how to face the challenges that are going to come to us in life. And often those challenges tell us something. Those challenges are speaking to us and they're saying, hey, you, God cannot be trusted. Or God doesn't love you or you're not who he says you are. And so today what I want to do is jump into Genesis 15. Because if there's anyone in the New Testament or Old Testament that lived in this gap, it was Abraham. That God had made some tremendous promises to Abraham, and yet the fulfillment of those promises took years and years to realize. And some of those promises were not even realized in his own lifetime. And so jump in with me into Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to pick it up in verse 1. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a voice, in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look, look towards the heavens and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and accounted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you up out from the Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. And he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old and a female goat three years old and a ram three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in half and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nations they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go on to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." Now when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord make, made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring I give this land, from the river, the great river of Egypt and the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergeshites, and the Jezubites. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. So I wonder, how do you live in that gap? A gap between the promise of what God says he'll do and the reality of what is actually happening in your life. You know, about uh, two years ago, I saw this posting on a website. It was a posting for a church that was looking for a pastor. And the name of that church was Bergen Park Church. 
It was a Monday morning, and pastors, it's often recommended you don't make decisions about anything on a Monday morning. And I'll tell you, this was one of those Monday mornings for me where I thought, you know, I'm in the wrong profession. Uh, God chose the wrong guy. I can't do this. I can't handle it. And you know what I did was I sent out a resume about two years ago, and I wrote on that resume, I'm not really interested in leaving. I was just interested in having a conversation. And yet God took something that I did not intend to do, and he used it in a way that I really had to trust him. Because I don't know about you, I'm the kind of person that I like to research before I make a decision. I mean, I'm the one that's always looking at consumer reports. My wife wants to buy something. She wants to get it now. I'm like, no, hey, let's find the best one. And let's not only find the best one, but the best one at the best price. And so I'm always thinking through how can we do this in a way that, that makes sense, that's rational. And yet what God so often does is he takes our decisions in life and he moves us in directions where we're forced to trust him. Where I'm forced to say, God, I only sent out one resume. I've never been to Evergreen. I had no desire to listen to come to Colorado. I know it's great. And I know a lot of people wanted to come. But for me, it wasn't where, really where I had my, my focus. And yet God said, I'm going to take what you think is a mistake and I want you to trust me. And then when I got up here, I said, wow, this is, this is totally different than what I expected. You know, when you look at a map and you see Denver and you see Evergreen, you don't see that the elevation, there's a difference <laughs> until you actually get here. And you realize, because I know that's silly, but I, I didn't know there were mountains right there. I knew there were mountains around Denver, but I didn't know where Evergreen was. And coming up here and realizing, God is, God is speaking in this moment. Am I going to trust him or am I just going to trust really the way that I see my life going? And that's in some ways where Abraham was. God comes to Abraham in Genesis 12 and says, Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. But to do that, you've got to leave what you're comfortable with and you've got to follow me. And I'm going to take you to a land that you've never been. And I'm going to make your name great. And I'm going to make your descendants great. And out of you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. God made some tremendous promises. And Abraham took that and he began to walk by faith. I mean, he left his neighborhood, he left his, his family, he left everything he knew behind, and he began to follow God. And as time goes on from Genesis 12, when we get into Genesis 15, like any one of us, a number of years have passed, and Abraham's starting to have some questions. God, you said you are going to do these things. You told me that you are going to make my descendants great, and yet none of these things are happening. And see, in Genesis chapter 15, God, knowing where Abraham is in his walk with him, he begins to address him. And notice the way that he responds in, in Genesis 15, in, in beginning in verse 1. And I lost it. I mean, the passage. Not my mind. Genesis 15, 1. And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, and he says, Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Notice he's saying, Abram, as you're looking at your life and things are not working out the way you expected, I want you to remember I'm your shield. I'm your protector. Not, not the possessions that you have, not the clarity of your life, not the peace and comfort in your heart. Rather, I'm your shield. And then notice he says, your reward is going to be very great. That one of the things God has to teach us in the midst of the gap, the gap between God's promises and our reality is that God is our reward. That when we come to faith in God, it's not just to come to faith so that we might have heaven or eternal life. Rather, what eternal life is, is knowing God. 
Jesus said, this is eternal life, that you may know me, that you may know the Father. You know, Abraham's walking through this experience in life, and the Father's reminding him, God's saying, Abraham, I am your reward. Don't look to the things in this world that you expect to see happen. But instead, Abram, what I want you to do, and I think this is true for all of us, is I want you to look to me. Will you trust me? And not just trust in the fulfillment of the promise, but rather trust in the one who gives that promise. And so Abraham trusted. And so in verse 2 it says, But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So Abraham, at an old age, God promises you're going to have a son. Now, Abraham may have believed he was possible. It was possible for him to have a child. And yet his wife was also up there in age. And the text actually says that she was dried up. There was no ability for her to produce a child. And Abram's looking at this promise. God, hey, you said we're going to have a kid. You said that through this child, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm not seeing it. Instead, the only guy I got is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, in that time, if you didn't have a child, if you didn't have an heir, one of your servants would become the heir of your household. And Abram, looking at this situation, saying, hey, after 15 years of this promise, God, I guess we'll use Eliezer. I mean, you haven't given me a son, so we might as well roll with that. That Abraham kind of takes the promise in his own hands and says, okay, God, I guess this is the person that you've chosen. Use him. I don't know how often when we take God's promises, instead of trusting him, we, we grab on to the first thing we see and say, hey, that's the solution. There's the way out. That's the path to hope. And what we're going to find is when Abraham takes those steps and grabs towards those promises, instead of trusting God, what, what begins to happen is he brings more heartache in his own life. And instead of seeing God's promise fulfilled, what happens in his life is that promise is delayed. And instead of seeing what God would do, instead Abraham takes those, takes matters into his own hands. And as you read through the story in Genesis 16, he takes it a little bit further. He doesn't only choose Eliezer of Damascus. He says, hey, why don't we try Hagar? Hagar is my wife's maidservant. And I know she can give birth to a son. And so Abraham, Abram, lays with Hagar and she gives birth to Ishmael. And he says, here's the son, God, that you promised. And instead of blessing Abram's mistake, God said, no, that's not the child and that's not the way it's going to happen. And for another 13 years, Abram waits and waits on this problem, promise because Abraham, instead of trusting God, sought to do it his own way. And if you turn back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 4, notice, notice the way that he responds. And it says, behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And it says, this man, meaning Eliezer, will not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And then he brought him outside and said, look at the heavens and number the stars, if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, I love that. Because I think in one sense, God knows where Abram is. And he's saying, hey, go outside and just look up. You know, if I can do that, you don't think I can handle this? I can put all the stars in place with my own word. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And if I can do that, you don't think I'm going to come through for you? You don't think the promise that I've made is a promise that I'm going to keep? See, how do we respond when we're walking in the gap? I think the first thing we've got to recognize is that God is our reward. 
You know, often I think we look to our circumstances. And we imagine, hey, if this is the way that God's treating me, this must be who God is. That we look at the bad times and we say, God doesn't love me. Or we look at the hard times and we think, okay, God, you're not in my life and you're not working in the direction that I want you to go. But see, instead of allowing Abraham to kind of sit in his problems, what God did was he redirected his gaze. And instead of focusing on what's happening, he said, Abram, I need you to focus on me. And I need you to trust me. You know, that's the simplicity of the Christian life. It's turning from what we see and looking to who he is and saying, I can trust him. Even though what's happening doesn't seem to be in line with what I want, I know if he is the one who's put the stars in place, he's got, me, he's got my life and he can handle this. Abram, look above. I've got this. And I love how he says, you know, fear not. God knows that we're afraid. He knows that we're going through moments where we're experiencing anxiety and worry. And he's saying, I understand what's happening. But I'm greater than this. I'm your shield. You can trust me. You know, for the first 15 chapters, what we see in the book of Genesis is how man messes things up how we take matters into our own hands. And yet God in his grace doesn't abandon us, but he gives us a promise. And he gives this promise to Abraham that through his descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You know, in the end, that's a reference to Jesus. It's a reference that through the descendants of Abraham, Jesus Christ would come. And that through his life, death, and resurrection, and faith in him, God would make right what sin had made wrong. The reality is each one of us today that believes in Jesus is a fulfillment of that promise. Because, see, we are the nations that have been blessed through Abraham. I mean, unless you're an Israelite and your background goes back to Abraham, our ancestors, when this promise was given, were pretty far from God. And I imagine they were out in the bush somewhere jumping over fires, afraid of what might be in the dark or what's around the corner. But see, God, through Abraham in this promise, sent Jesus Christ so that us, we, our nations might be blessed through what God had done. And we see that truth in what, what was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. The first thing I think we see as we walk through the gap is we have to trust that God is our reward. And he's greater than the challenges we face. Now, the second thing I think we see in this passage is that to live in the gap, we have to live by faith. If you look at Genesis 15, verse 6, there's a key verse that's used throughout the New Testament, and it says, and he, meaning Abram, believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, often people will ask, you know, how are people saved in the Old Testament? And the answer is the same way they're saved in the New Testament, by faith in what God has promised or what God has done. You see, before Christ came, Faith was in the promise of the Messiah, the promise that Jesus would come. They weren't saved because of what they did. They were saved because of faith in the one who would accomplish it. Now, they may not know the circumstances of the name, but that Old Testament saint was saved by trusting in this promise that through this descendant, God would set everything right that sin had made wrong. And see, just as Abraham was counted righteous, which means Abraham didn't suddenly become a good guy because he believed. But see, God counted him as righteous because he trusted in the one who was righteous. He trusted in Jesus, and the Father saw him as acceptable. 
that he believed. And what we need as we walk through the gap is we need faith. Faith to trust that God is who he says he is. Now, what is faith? In, in Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For who would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That without faith, it's impossible to please God. So what is this, this idea of faith? I want to read this. Here's a definition of faith. Faith is wholehearted trust. Wholehearted trust in God that causes us to base our life on his word, regardless of my circumstances or what the world may say. Let me read that again. Faith is wholehearted trust in God that causes me to base my life on his word, regardless of my circumstances or what the world may say. Now, if we take that definition and you look at Abram's life, what were his circumstances? No, he didn't have a son. There was no, no, no idea of how this child would come into his life. His circumstances were not good. If anyone had reason to doubt, I think Abraham was one of those who had reason to doubt. And the land that God was calling him to was a land that was inhabited. There were people there, not just small groups of people, but violent people. How are we going to take possession of this land when we can't even have a child. The promises that God was making to Abraham, to him, seemed outlandish, impossible. There's no way for these things to come about. And if he had trusted just in what he saw, he would have missed what God was about to do. I think that's often the case for us. We trust in what we see. And we think God can't possibly overcome the challenges that I'm facing. But see, if Abraham had not turned and looked to who God is, he would miss what God was about to do. So what we need as we walk through the gap is we need the faith to trust that God is going to fulfill the promise that he's made. Now, the third thing I think we see in this passage is that we also need, we also need obedience. We need to act. That faith isn't faith unless it results in a response towards God. And in verses 7 and following, you see that Abraham acts. And it says in verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And that's a good question. Hey, God, how do I know that this is going to come about? You've made these promises. I, I'd like to know. How can I trust you? And this may be a strange way for us to think that God would say, here's how you could trust me. But God says, I want you to take some animals. And I want you to cut them in half and set the pieces alongside each other. And that seems pretty strange to us. Hey, God, how do I know your promises are going to come true? Well, why don't you take some animals, cut them in half, and place them on each side? I'd say, God, you're nuts. That doesn't make sense. Well, see, in that time period, in that century, in that, that period of history, there was a thing called a Susan T. Covenant. That when two kings made a pact together and made a covenant, what they would do is they cut the animals in half. They'd set the pieces aside and they would say, if anything, if either one of us breaks this covenant, may what has happened to these animals happen to us. And so when God says to Abram, hey, I want you to create this, this situation. I want you to cut these animals in half. Immediately he goes, I know what this is. God is making a covenant. And I imagine what's about to happen is, is Abram and God are about to walk between these pieces. Or at least Abram will because he's the lesser. He's the smaller. This covenant is based on my faithfulness. But Abraham obeys. He does what God says, and he follows through, and he sacrifices. 
Now, those are not inexpensive things to sacrifice. You know, when you're following God in the midst of the wilderness, when you're, when you're following him, you have no direction in terms of what, where things are going to turn out. To stop and say, God, in, in this moment, I'm going to sacrifice. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do. It seems somewhat counterproductive. It doesn't seem to be in line with what, hey, this isn't really going to get me where I need to go. And often, I'll tell you, faith doesn't seem... Sometimes the things that God asks us to do don't seem to be in line with what I think is most important in this moment. And yet he says, trust me. And Abraham trusts him. And in the midst of that gap, he's obedient. And he follows what he says. The fourth thing we see is there's a persistence. Because not only does he obey God, but he persists. And in Genesis 15, 11, it says, and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. Seems almost incidental and insignificant. On the one hand, he <laughs> cut these animals in half, and now there's this verse that says that there were birds that were coming down, and he had to constantly drive them away. But I think it shows that the sacrifice that God wants from us, this sacrifice of obedience, it's, it's something that we don't do once, but it's something we've got to continue to do over and over and over again. That the discipline of faith, of trusting God, the discipline of obedience, the discipline of sacrifice, it's not a one-time event. Instead, there's often birds of prey that come down to, to steal away our hope, to steal away our faith. The question is, how do we respond? Are we going to look to our circumstances or to what the world says? Or are we going to turn like Abraham did and say, God, you're my shield. You're my provider. I'm not going to trust just what I see, but he was persistent and he continued to sacrifice. In some ways, I think it's it's a picture of marriage. You know, for a good marriage to work, it ha there has to be sacrifice. And you can't live today on today's love with yesterday's sacrifice. You can't say to your wife, remember how I used to sacrifice for you? Remember how I used to give up my life for you? And that's not enough. I think the sacrifices of the past, if your love is built on the sacrifices of the past and not the present, that relationship is going to dwindle. And the same thing is true when it comes to our relationship with God. It's not a one-time sacrifice, a one-time commitment. Hey, God, I'm going to give my life to you. I hope everything works out. But instead, as Jesus said, if anyone's going to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That God loves our persistence. God loves when in faith, when our circumstances don't seem to add up with God's promises, Instead of abandoning the promises, we persist in faith. Reminds me of Luke chapter 18. There's a story of a persistent widow who's before an unjust judge. The judge was not a God-fearing man. He didn't want to give this widow what she deserved. But instead, she came day after day after day and was persistent before that unjust judge. And the judge eventually relented. And Jesus said, if, if this judge was willing to respond to this widow, how much more will our father respond to us when we're persistent before him. You see another story about a blind beggar that's crying out to Jesus and everyone's telling him, hey, be quiet. Jesus doesn't want anything to do with you, but he won't listen to his circumstances or to the world. Instead, he continues to cry out and cry out, not worrying what people may think of him. And eventually Jesus responds and he addresses his concern because God is, he responds to our persistence. And in the midst of the gap between God's promises and our experiences, we have to look, first of all, not to what's happening, but to who God is. And to look to not just the promise, but the promise giver. And recognize that God is great enough to accomplish what he has promised. And in the midst of that, to persist in faith, to 
persist in obedience. Because the reward that God's going to give is not just that things are going to work out great, but rather that God wants to use us. I think one of the challenges that we miss in life is, see, we're looking for the results. We're looking for that gold at the end of the rainbow. We want things to work out in this life. We want things to be right today. And yet we miss the reality that God wants to use us, that the God who rescued us also wants to rescue others through us. And so if you jump into verse 12, we're going to end by looking at how this story ends. And it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there. And they, uh, they, they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, let me explain what he just said. God had promised to Abram the land, but he's saying to Abram, you're never going to see it. Now, you're going to see the sun, but there's an aspect of my promises you're never going to see. It's not till the fourth generation, 400 years away, even more than that, that your descendants are going to take possession of this land. And Abraham's saying, well, how do I know this is going to happen? If you look in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates. Now, here's what's beautiful about this passage is, as we said in the beginning, you know, the, the gospel is not a New Testament idea. It's an Old Testament idea. That here you have Abraham cutting these animals in half, and his expectation is, hey, this covenant's on me. I've got to be the one who's obedient. And if I fail, then may what has happened to these animals descend on me. But what happens in this story, which is so amazing so early in the Old Testament, is Abram falls asleep. Not because he intentionally did, but God put him asleep. And instead of Abram walking between those pieces, it says a smoking fire pot. Now, if you realize Moses is writing this story, and he's writing this story while Israel is in the wilderness. And during the the day, they're being led by a cloud. And at night, they're being led by fire. That what they would hear as they read this story is that God is the one that passed between those pieces. The covenant promise, God's promise to us, it's not dependent on our obedience. But God is saying, if you break this promise, or if I break this promise, may what has happened to these animals happen to me. See, what this is, is the earliest picture of what Christ would do on the cross. That though he knew no sin, Jesus became sin on our behalf so that we might know the righteousness of God. That God said, hey, I'm going to make right everything that sin has made wrong. I'm going to, through your descendants, bless all the nations of the earth. But what did Jesus do? See, Jesus is the one who took upon himself our disobedience, our lack of trust. That when our circumstances weren't right and we didn't trust him, And instead of looking to God, we look to ourselves and we went our own path. Instead of that disobedience falling on us and that punishment falling on us, it fell on Jesus Christ. He was the one that was cut in half. Why? So that we might trust the one who has given us these promises. So that we might trust the promise giver. 
Because see, the great thing about the Christian faith is it's not dependent on us. In the end, it's dependent on him because we know that apart from him, there's nothing that I can do. That he who saved me is the one that's going to complete that which he began in my life. And the beauty of the Christian life is that God wants to use us. Now, the challenge, again, is that often we're walking in this place where we're looking at our circumstances, we're looking at our surrounding and saying, how does this add up with who God is? And and my encouragement to you today is you've got to start, instead of just looking to what's happening, start asking, who is God? And what is God saying right now in my life? Which means you've got to have ears to hear. I think too often we're listening to what the world says. And the world says, hey, things aren't going right. Things aren't right. You're not right. God's not right. And instead of listening to the world, to turn to the one who's given us the promise, say, God, who are you? And maybe like Abram in Genesis 15:1, he'll say, I'm your shield. You don't need to be your protector. Stop trying to defend yourself. Let me defend you. Or maybe he'll say to you, I am your reward. Instead of running after the rewards that you think you deserve, what would it look like in faith just to say, Father, you know, I've got the greatest reward of all. I've got you. I know you and I know that you're with me. What would it look like to stop trying to grab things all the time? Stop fighting for things and instead to really fight for what God's already given us, which is him. To know God and to know that he wants to use us in this life in a way that's going to draw others to himself. You know, as we live in the gap, one of the things I think we need from each other is we need each other to speak faith into each other's lives. I think sometimes we're great at giving advice. And what advice is, is here's the circumstances and here's what you need to do. And sometimes that's helpful. But I think often what we need from each other is we need to remind one another of who God is and what he's done. This is the God that we serve. And if we're anxious, if we're worried, if we're afraid, we need to point one another back to God's love and his promise and say, hey, instead of just trusting in what you see, would just for a moment, would you trust in what, who he is and, and what he says and what he's done? And may that begin to encourage us that we would start to walk in a way that reveals who he is and draws others to himself. Hey, let me pray for us. I just confess so often in life, um, I know as I've walked this journey in life, Lord, there's been moments that I've had to ask, Father, what are you doing? There are promises and, and what you've said life would be like and what I'm experiencing, there's a disconnect. I know you love me and yet there's hardship. I know that you've called me in this path and yet it's not easy. And Lord, I thank you that during those moments of difficulty through the power of the Spirit, you remind us of the truth. You remind us that you're the one that calls us out of darkness into light, that we didn't save ourselves, we didn't wake up to who you are, but you woke us up. That though we were dead, Father, you made us alive. Forgive us, Lord, for forgetting the the things that you've done in our lives to know you, to experience you, and that you want to use us. And so as we walk uh, this week, would we walk by faith? Lord, not just trusting in what we see, but trusting in who you are. And then, Lord, would we listen in obedience to your word and say, Father, would you show us what we're missing and what the world's saying doesn't add up with what you've said. Father, would we learn to persist in obedience and trust and in the end to know the greatest reward is that you desire to use us, that those you've redeemed, Father, you send out into the world to demonstrate your love to others. Father, help us this week to walk in that truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we respond and worship. It's great to see you here.
coming weeks as the holidays are approaching, we're going to, you know, in the busyness and the hectic, you know, how it can get, we're going to, between services, we're going to try to start a prayer service and um, time of worship and reading word and praying for one another. So as a church, I just want us to be a church that has time and space to really speak into each other's lives and encourage each other. Um, so be praying in the, in the coming weeks um, that God will bless that time. It's going to be between services, and um, there'll be more information coming, but I hope God just blesses that time. This is one of my old favorite hymns, The Old Rugged Cross. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross, here the dearest and best, poor world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. cross so despised by the world has wondrous attraction for me for the dear lamb of god his glory above to bear it on dark calvary sing it out with me so I'll cherish the old rugged cross until my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown sing the fourth verse to the old rugged cross I will ever be true it's shame and reproach it's shame and reproach gladly bear then he'll call me someday then he'll call me someday to my home far away to my home far away where his glory forever where his glory Ever I'll share and we sing so I'll cherish the old rugged cross until my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange. Someday for a crown. 
this week, may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, may the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit enable us to walk by faith today and forevermore. Amen. Have a great week. It's good to see you.